Welcome to In-House Legal Uncovered, a major Lindsay and Africa podcast exploring what it takes to make it in-house. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of In-House Legal Uncovered. I'm Michael Sachs, and I'm a partner in Major Lindsay in Africa and our in-house counsel recruiting group. As listeners who have consistently tuned into this podcast know, our theme is candid and engaging conversations with leading individuals in the legal industry. Like last month when I interviewed Ramji Kala at the University of Michigan, I wanted to go in a slightly different direction with this one. I wanted to get the perspective from someone who is in the arena of human resources and could provide some insights from that vantage point. For nearly every general counsel search that we conduct, an HR leader is heavily involved. Yet for many of our candidates, that involvement can be seen as a cipher, a bit of a cipher, and a code that needs to be cracked. My guest can help on this point. He is Kurt Loring, currently the Chief Human Resources Officer at Applied Industrial Technologies, a Cleveland, Ohio, publicly traded company that distributes industrial products and services primarily in North America. Kurt has been with Applied for nearly a decade now since 2014. In the past, Kurt was, amongst other positions, a vice president human resources for Fluke Corporation, a vice president human resources for the Forge product segment at Precision Cast Parts Corporation, and a VP of HR at Qualitrol Company LLC. Kurt received a graduate degree from Rutgers University and an undergraduate degree from Bethany College in West Virginia. Kurt, welcome to the In-House Legal Uncovered podcast. Thank you, Mike. Kurt, did I get your background right? Uh, Does that take you back a bit? Uh, it does take me back a bit. It's fun to go down memory lane. Perfect. All right. Well, let's let's get into the podcast right now. I appreciate you uh, you doing this. Let's start with kind of a let's set the stage a little bit. Why don't you just kind of walk through your career? How did you get kind of from there to 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 where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I started out uh, wanting to be an operations manager, general manager, uh, and so I was in a management development program fresh out of school. Uh, and realized as I was into all the analytics and, and reporting out on the daily metrics is that uh, I always seem to know the people metrics the best. Uh, and one day it hit me. Uh, I was into well, probably roughly five years into my career is that I realized that uh, I was probably a better people manager than I was an operations manager. And I worked for uh, an individual who uh, gave me the freedom to uh, explore that. And uh, after that quick exploration, I uh, realized that uh, I was going to go in HR full time. And so uh, for the last 25 plus years, I've been dedicated to uh, HR and trying to make the people piece of the business better. Uh, It's taken me always in manufacturing, industrial manufacturing, uh to uh now sitting at applied industrial technologies is a a value-added reseller i am uh you know on the commercial end but sole hr so um so applied industrial technologies so talk about it a little bit what does that company do give us the give us the elevator speech what's uh what what, what do you guys do yeah, if we were only uh, we only have three floors in the building, so it's got to be fast. <laughs> and, if, and in that case, I would say we are everything industrial. Uh, so applied industrial technologies is 100 years old this year, Mike. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm trying to bring that along or continue the message of we have a great past and we need to continue to make it better. Uh, but we keep industry rolling. Uh, And so if you think about our products, we will be selling MRO, 
if you are in a building or you're in a, a factory and something breaks, you need those products. You have a you have a crib or you have maintenance men that are trying to figure out how to fix it. They're going to call us. We'll do that. Everything from simple bearings um, all the way up to automation and everything in between. And I should, we, you know, I shouldn't be as coy either in this interview. You know, Kurt, you and I just recently worked on a search for the better part of what, you know, seven or eight months or so with it. So got to know the company pretty well. I think I mistakenly called you AIT a few times. And I think you politely corrected me. That you don't actually call it AIT. You actually call it implied industrial. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, that search went a little longer than I would have liked. But yes, we did work together for six or seven months. And uh, uh, AIT is the ticker symbol. So if you hear it come up, it, it really is the ticker symbol. All right. Well, uh, um, so let's before we get back to applied industrial a little bit. I mean, you've had this career. We just you and I were just talking about countries visited and things done over your career. You've had a, a kind of an amazing career of all sorts of different experiences. And did you have um, uh, mentors who helped you? You mentioned the person that you worked with back when you were just starting, you know, other people who kind of helped you along the way. You know, who are they? Maybe what did they do to kind of help you along the pathway? Yeah, uh, well, I, I've been I've been very lucky that uh, I, I've never been in what I'll call as a formal mentor program, but I have had people who have been in my life that have uh, clearly shaped me to who I am today and how I think, right? Uh, and so whether that be at uh, my prior experience, a uh, gentleman by the name of Phil Abernathy at PPG telling me, fair, firm, constant, and persistent is the way we operate in HR, mm. uh, to a, a Forrest H. Kirkpatrick, who was, uh, I don't remember his official title, but uh, was at uh, RCA and was part of the team that put Rosie the Riveter uh, in the factories in wow. Indiana. So, uh, you know, he was a much older gentleman when the time I got to meet him, but uh, he had a cane and he wasn't afraid to use it if he thought I needed to be uh, pushed in a pushed in a direction. Uh, so but I've had great leaders even in in industry. Right. Some of those individuals took a, I took an interest in them and they took an interest in me. But in just day to day actions, Mike, I would tell you that, boy, be on the lookout for insights along the way you don't have to be in a formal mentorship program to have insights given to you or collaborate with someone to say hmm that's a learning that i should take away did you take the more of the learnings do you think you know second half of your career or do you think that these things that hit you in your 20s and 30s and you kind of always remembered i think foundationally uh you know a lot of learnings earlier on in the career uh and then you test them Right. And, and they get shaped and, and uh, you disrupt yourself. Right. Is to hey, I'm not sure that that that's one that I want to hang on to. Uh, but a couple things that I would say uh, from that standpoint is that uh, I think integrity uh, and being transparent, that was early on in my career and that still serves me very well today. And I think you and I would both agree that in our searches is that uh, being transparent about candidates and and the care that we need to give them is really important. Yeah, and I think those are the kind of things that maybe, you know, when, when you're just starting out and you don't know better and you've kind of gone to school and you've learned school stuff and you've kind of taken orders from people, you don't quite understand some of those things you should, then the only way you get some lessons and hopefully you kind of keep those lessons and always remember them as you kind of go on. Yeah. 
Um, and so, you know, a lot of our listeners are in-house lawyers. Some are probably law students. Some might be attorneys at law firms. You know, I'm always surprised that when you have somebody who's a highly successful law firm attorney, they don't really know how companies work other than maybe their orbit of what they do all the time. So I'm going to ask you maybe an obvious question, but what what are your responsibilities as CHRO? What are you what are you doing? What are you doing day to day? What is that? What is a what is a Kurt? What does a Kurt Loring uh, day look like? Um, what's 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 yeah, what are, what are you doing? I'd like to think it's exciting, but uh, I'm not sure all your listeners will find it that way. But uh, I, I bring hey, maybe. My... I'm not sure the Lord. I'm not sure legal practice is always that exciting either. So they may find what you do fascinating. Uh, I break my job down into uh, three categories, right? The, the first category I, I label is total rewards. Uh, and so rewards for me are interactions around what you would know as traditional compensation, call it base, uh, STI, uh, LTI, so short-term incentive, long-term incentives as it relates to plans, as it relates to the equity across those plans, as it relates to uh, retention. Uh, but it also has really taken on a lot more, uh, total rewards has taken on more importance for me as it relates to wellness and engagement in the holistic person. And so we have some initiatives going on uh, right now at, at Applied where, where we think about prevent, identify, and manage, right? And so we're trying to help individuals uh, prevent um, what I'd call chronic uh, illnesses. When they do identify them, we want to well, we want to then put in practices that help identify, and then when they're identified, really go into manage. And so some people in business would say, "Gosh, it seems like you're you've moved away from just business." And I would say, "Hey, if we can help associates be healthy and be engaged, our business is going to be better off." And so often you hear the story of I had this pain, I had this knot in my back, and now I've went and got it checked and it's way too late. And so we're trying to bring some of that transparency is that I'm okay paying medical bills. The company's okay having these benefits and we want you to use those benefits. So that's one part. Uh, the second part is, is talent acquisition. It's huge, right? Uh, where are we going to find our growth? How are we going to continue to satisfy our customers, right? We see it when I told you we're all thing industrial, right? You look at the, uh, you go look at an industrial manufacturing facility and you tend to see gray hair individuals walking in. It's not some sexy business that the 20 year olds are clamoring or 30 year olds are clamoring to get into. And so we realize that this retirement uh, wave is coming. And so we have to be thinking about how we satisfy our customers by having talent available to meet their needs. And so talent acquisition is big for me. And then the last part of it, what I'd call falls in a business partner role is the development. And so once you get that talent, we've got to keep them and we've got to continue to advance them through their career, both on their aspirations as well as the business needs. And so that's what the three buckets of my day are made up of. Some days I walk in thinking I'm going to do everything around 
talent development, but something happens and I get sucked uh, in another direction, right, from, from that standpoint. Do you think those buckets are kind of specific to applied, or do you think if you went to a different company tomorrow that was similar, it'd probably be the same? In other words, is this what probably, you know, most CHROs are kind of balancing, or is one of those buckets maybe yeah. weighted heavier because of applied? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't I don't feel uh, qualified to, to break it out for others. But what I would say is that when I meet with my peers, we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and so it, the 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 size of the bucket may change, uh, but I would tell you uh, every CHRO is, is concerned about those three things. Right. And, and I should tell you, it comes under the umbrellas it's making the business better, right? So yeah, I do M&A work. Yeah, I get sucked into due diligence. Yeah, you've got to do onboarding. Yeah, you've got to worry about the financial performance monthly. But if I'm doing those three things right, when I come to the, the, the leadership table and we sit down, I'm engaged and people are engaging with me on how we make the business better. So one of the things, you know, as CHRO, you're also responsible, you know, for the, you're leading the effort to bring in new executive team members internally, externally. Uh, that was a search, you know, obviously we were involved in. Yeah. Um, what are the qualities you look for in an executive team member? Someone who's going to report to your CEO, somebody who's going to be a peer of you. You look for these qualities. I'm sure you've done this multiple times over your career, not just the one search we had with you. What's uh? You, you must have a pretty good eye for these things. You must have things that are on your mind. Thank you for the compliment first. Um, I, I think I, I have learned, right, that there are certain things that are important. And early on in search, I probably would have been focused on technical skills, right? So when you talk about law students listening to this podcast, I would say make sure you're getting the foundation of your discipline nailed, right? Because when you turn into high level search, those are table stakes, right? I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, in the case of us doing, a, doing, doing lawyer work, right? do, do they have commercial acumen around law? Do they have employment law? Do they, have, do they know how, if they worked with treasury, right? Uh, they worked on governance, uh, you know, a lot of those things, right? But those are table stakes. Either you have it or you don't. Right. And uh, so when I think about higher level searches or individuals that are thinking about, hey, I've got this interview or I'm going to an interview. For me, it comes down to some uh, competencies that I, I would say uh, are very uh, vanilla, but really can make or break an interview. And one of them would be learning agility. Right. You need to be able to demonstrate that uh, you're not a one trick pony, right? That this isn't a one hit band, right? That you will continue to evolve and demonstrate how you go about learning and how you stay sharp, right? I've had individuals tell me, well, how are they sharpening their saw? And sometimes I find that metaphor very kind of it kind of resonates with me, right? Is it, hey, how are you doing that? The other one that I, I would look at uh, would be business acumen. So you go away from being a siloed vertical uh, individual, right? I'm in this function. I'm in law. I'm in HR. Okay. 
But what I got to be thinking about is how are those pieces of that function going to work within the business? So, right, business acumen turns into advocating. And sometimes you're advocating for the shareholder. Sometimes you're advocating for the customer. And sometimes you're advocating for the associates. And these things like learning agility, business acumen, I assume that these are things that, you know, the resume kind of sets the table, but these are things you're developing during the course of an interview or multiple interviews, not just drawn out by either their answers or your questions to kind of get to those things, not just something you can notice on paper. Uh, absolutely. Right. I mean, yeah, I think they're very hard to see on paper. Right. Yeah. But, and are there certain traits of being like an executive team member that maybe are over overrated? Right. We talk about I don't know if any of these are overrated, you know, talk about gravitas or, um, you know, the person who, you know, can you know be a good listener or somebody who can, you know, talk a lot or roll up the sleeves or all these different things. Are these things over the years where you hear this and you're like, you know, that's a good skill. But honestly, these things are more important. Um, yeah, I I didn't take it from the the overrated. I would probably redirect you back to what I think are some of the underrated ones for me. Okay. Right. And so I I would tell you, as we talked about critical thinking, business acumen, uh, advocacy, I think talent development gets underrated. Being able to talk about how you have built your pipeline, who is in positions that are equal to or greater than you, right? It's a question I love to ask. Not, Don't tell me about the junior person who was a, a rocket ship waiting to go up, right, through maybe be, one or two positions. I'm interested in how you are growing people at your level, right? And so I think the other the other two that I, I think about is active listening. So many times I get into these interviews with senior level people and I think about them telling me the story they wanted to curate versus answering questions. <laughs> We just, I just had this, um, I just, as I told you, I just had this download on another search and one of the top candidates, literally Kurt gave, uh, the person said, this person gave a 13 minute answer to her question of what was your top career achievement? And at 13 minutes, he said, well, let me wrap this up because I know we're short on time. And then he went another seven minutes and the answer was basically reforming the bylaws. And she just yeah. couldn't believe it. Basically, he had the story in mind that he was going to tell her no matter what. And he wasn't looking at the interview and he wasn't reading the room and all the other cliches and all so Absolutely. learning agility sounds like pretty low for him yeah I, i'm not sure he'd make it to my second round <laughs> don't think you i don't think he'd make it to anybody's uh, when i heard that of course we were embarrassed that we even put him in the slate at all um so what about the gc position um you know you've worked with a few different lawyers and we can take this you know away from just applied i'm just curious in your career you know, what are the qualities you think are important for a lawyer? I think you got into this already a little bit, but what's the, you know, what are executive teams talking about with lawyers in general? They shut the doors, they're talking about in-house lawyers, and there's all the jokes, you know, the Department of No, and then, you know, reading the book, but also there's a real value for them. What, uh, what do you see there? What's, what do you, what, what's, what's specific to lawyers that you've seen over your career? Well, the, the good ones have helped me navigate in the gray hmm. i will tell you that that earlier discussion around the technical skills yeah you've got to have them yes you need to know the laws 
from that standpoint, right? But I no longer believe it's black and white. It's not binary. And the great lawyers help me navigate that right and wrong into, okay, I understand what someone wrote, right? I may understand this law, but hey, here's ways that that has been interpreted. And let's think about how we would interpret that. Not that I ever want to be unethical, you know, but there are there are grays to that uh, to that law. And I think the best ones are very good at helping you understand that in listening and saying, oh, OK, well, let's think about this then. And right. does that come up? I'm just curious, Kurt, does that come up more in the context of like a workforce issue, uh, employees making a complaint or more of like a new policy you want to roll out and you're kind of reviewing the policy and kind of figuring out if they can do this under current laws or just kind of is it just kind of everything? Well, I, I would obviously see it more in the employment side being in the uh, HR function. But when we're in the leadership meetings and we're talking about the acquisitions, yeah. right and and you and you start to understand uh okay hey these are the liabilities right or or these are situations around commercial right and being able to present but then not be steadfast that that's the camp they're in hey i'm going to state a fact the fact is this says this now let's apply that in any of these situations as to how do we want to navigate through it Right. And I would tell you in interviewing, those are great interview answers that I love hearing as an HR person. Right. I already get that, you know, you're smart enough and you've passed the bar and that you are a lawyer. All right. Now help me navigate. In the business world. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was you know, I mean, my next question is you've obviously interviewed a large number of people over your career, probably thousands of people at a certain point. You must have a pretty strong sense of what you like to hear from people, what you don't like to hear. And there are certain things you just got into one right there, right? You've you that's something you like to hear from people, the things that you other things that you gravitate towards in an interview, things you just can't stand hearing. You know, do you have certain, you know, pet peeves or things that you you just really like to hear from people? Well, I so Mike, you and I had the pleasure of working together, and you know my answer is is that uh, you know uh, numbers matter at times yes and, and so uh words are interesting but i when someone walks into an interview uh and it's all words uh i struggle to believe so what i what i like to listen for uh when i am interviewing whether that be a operations finance general manager hr uh individual is i like to hear their cadence and their KPIs, right? How are they measuring themselves? And how are they holding themselves accountable when those metrics are missed? And what are they doing to celebrate the successes, right, along the way? And when someone just wants to verbalize about their, their thoughts and they don't have those foundations of metrics telling me, hey, I have planning. I'm a good project manager. I can set goals. Those goals I want to hear about, are they stretch goals? Were they easy to achieve? When did you miss? Right? That's the part of the interview that for me tells me this person is really engaged in the business. 
yeah what i was going to say also is when i um when i look at resumes people are always sending me their resume that you know hey what do you think of this you know any comments on it you know for years i've been saying the same thing which is you need more capital letters and numbers at the end of the day so if you're just saying you're a litigator and you do discovery and you've done you know depositions and you've done trials and you've done this and you're you know active in this or you're a corporate lawyer and you've done m a and things like that yeah, well, we know that every lawyer has done something like that at a certain point, but give me some details in there. Give the give the client yeah. some details. A- not absolutely. Just, absolutely. Yeah. And and Mike, this is this is this is a great little saying that I have used. Uh is that I'm trying to qualify you for the job, not disqualify you for the job. Yeah. So when someone's coming to interview, help me qualify you for the position, right? I've got a bar that I've got to get you over, right? Right. And the goal is, is that all I'm asking you for in this interview is to give me information and data that helps me say, yep, you're qualified. The, The recruiters do not want to sit here and disqualify everyone. There's no joy in that. And so for your listeners who are, going forth and saying, hey, I think I'm ready for a move or I want to go interview with this company, you should go in with it with the understanding of help me help that recruiter qualify myself for that role, not try to play this. I'm going to hold the cards close to my chest and hope that they don't uncover something. Or this, I feel like with some lawyers, a bit of a romantic notion that I'm just going to crush the interview and they're going to take a chance on me because I'm a smart person and I've had a record of success. The reality is that that's 1% maybe of companies are willing to do that. They need, they can't go to their boss and say, hey, well, I really like this person, so I'm taking a chance on them. They need to be able to tell their boss and their executive team, here's why we're seriously considering hiring this person for the role. Absolutely. And I think some lawyers don't understand that. They still think they can talk the company into something. That's that's not going to happen 99% of the time. I I would agree. And so even in interview, I mean, one, <laughs> one of the things Bert, that, you know, I think we talked about at the time and since then, you had some pretty good observations about some of the things that you saw from uh, uh, some of the comments that were made by some of the uh, candidates who were interviewing for the role we worked on. I mean, one of the things I did want to talk to you about is this uh, interesting notion of, okay, so somebody wants to leave a company that isn't doing well, that's struggling, that's having uh, problems per se. And that's why they're interested in the engaging in the market. Then they want to go to applied. And I think we had a few different people on that in our search. And you had a really, I thought your take on that was really interesting uh, because I think you push back on that a little bit. And I've actually um, taken your approach and I've given that advice to a few people. So I'm curious when you see people like that who are kind of worked for a company for two, three years and their company is struggling, I'd be curious kind of how you kind of analyze that and how you think about it. What did I tell you again, Mike? (laughs) Exactly. That's right. You had a lot of stuff. Well, we had one candidate who who had worked for a company that was struggling and the company wasn't in growth mode. And I think you were telling them, basically, I think you should stay there, that you should you should double down a little bit. You made that commitment. And so. (laughs) Yeah, I'm joking with you. (laughs) That's okay. This is this oh. is what our relationship is like for seven or eight months. I want the our listeners to know that. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think the the challenge when everyone comes in, you want to be transparent, right? As to to why you are looking. And so I, I do think it benefits people to to talk about it. 
right? But I've had people uh, present, you, you've presented candidates, right? That have, have been at that company for what I'm gonna say is a prolonged period of time, right? And so at some point, they can tell me about how bad the company is doing, how it's been mismanaged, how things have gone wrong. But at some point, that's a reflection of you, right? And, and so I think you need to walk in and say, these are the things that have not gone well. These are the things that I have tried, right? And now I'm at the point where I feel that this is going to continue to degrade or or go fall below my expectations and therefore i'm on the market uh and if you can't answer those questions honestly probably you're not going to make it to the second round i don't want losers right nice. no one does right and what you're trying to figure out is it, when you're talking to these individuals is that that there are good people at bad companies. And I'm trying to figure out if you're one of the good people at that bad company, and have you tried to make that company better? Because at some point, there will be an inflection where you're, the company that I'm recruiting for, applied, has a rough patch. And I need to know about how you're going to respond, other than say, I don't think the company's going to make it and I need to move on, right? Or I don't like this. There's a lot of things in my life I don't like every day, right? And I, my goal is to say I've got to lean in as a leader and try to change those. Yeah, and you've got people who have been in a company for a long time. Then you've got people who probably have only been their company for two, three years, and they've immediately realized, oh, God, this is a bad situation. I think we had one of those at one point in our process, and yeah. I think your advice was, look, you know, didn't you realize that when you came on board and are you just going to, I think your second part of that answer said it, are you going to jump when you come to applied and happens to be a rough right. year for us as well? Are you going to be calling, you know, Mike and Heather and other recruiting firms trying to get out of here? Correct. Well, and, and to your, to that point that you made in the early part, when you see someone that's, uh, have been, has been there a short duration, right. And they say, you know, oh my gosh, this is, you know, isn't what I thought my answer is walk me through your strategic and critical thinking skills is the why you thought it was good. So have that story and be honest about it so that people can, so that a, a person, a recruiter, or an interviewer will sit there and say, got it. Because when you tell me, hey, I've only been here for 18 months and it's time to move on or yada, yada, it makes me question your strategic thinking. And as a person working for the CEO, I really do need high strategic acumen, right? You really do need to be able to look around corners and help the business navigate. And if the quick answer is, wow, it was a bad move, this happened, uh, you're right, Mike, I'm, I'm not interested in them. Now, if they walked in and, hey, there's a CEO change or, hey, there's some, uh, you know, external factor that springs upon them okay i get it but don't be a job hopper right especially at the c level right i don't think there's a, a ceo out there who's interested in someone who's who's moving in 12 months 18 months yeah to your point i mean when somebody sometimes there are people who they 
join a company. It's in Chicago, for instance. And then like three months after I started, the CEO announced they're all moving to Phoenix. I can't move to Phoenix. I need a new job. Yeah. Everybody can understand that. But when it's sort of that mishmash of, well, I thought this and I thought that, and then this happened and we're not growing, it's, it's it's not about being a, for me at least it's not about being a loser or not it's simply about what what was your process in interviewing were you just so desperate to look for that job at the end of the day or did you see everything through rose colored glasses and are you going to look at this through rose colored glasses as well are you really right. looking at these things critically are you serious because i can't have you motor this client for another two years and have them call me that's just going to be frustrating to everybody correct um so I should say, I want to ask a little bit, I hit, you know, the topic du jour, obviously, of the last few years is COVID. I mean, three and a half years in, you know, how has that changed the company, if at all? I mean, how has that changed the workforce? Um, how, you know, have you adapted? Um, you know, is there any kind of hybrid, um, you know, permitted it and applied now? Every company, I feel like even more, Kurt, I feel like this topic has now come back over the last few months and it's literally the topic still with every single company we have. So kind of curious what uh, wait, what uh, this what is when learning this is when learning agility shines. Uh, because I, I the last three and a half years have been, uh, I think, tough on everyone, yeah. uh, you know, whether from a personal situation and the deaths and the illnesses that have occurred or to work and, and how you uh, how you navigate it in terms of trying to balance the needs of the uh, the associates and the needs of the customers and shareholders. So we clearly have morphed. Um, we you know we are there to support our customers in an MRO type business. So that's maintenance repair type work, right? So when something breaks, they need to be able to call us and be able to get those products. And so we remain uh, in office. Uh, however, we have adopted uh, hybrid models where we can to help individuals, but we tell every associate our, our porch lights on, right? Customers are going to call us. We have to answer those phones, pick up the faxes, and we've got to be able to ship product. Uh, and so we that is a requirement. And so we do have to do that. Our DCs are open, right? Moving product around. But we've tried to have a heart with it and understanding that, hey, maybe it's not every day, right? And in some of those cases, is there ways uh, that we can morph schedules to still provide coverage, but also allow for uh, individuals to have some flexibility that they need around it? We've also learned that, uh, you know, cross training is huge, right? What used to be, hey, this is my job, my desk, my customers is, is no longer the case. Right. Just because of what COVID could do to someone in terms of putting them out of the office for 10 days or not being able to get to a customer. Yeah. Right. Or in other cases, having individuals uh, become uh, more seriously ill and go out on an extended leave. And so it really opened our eyes to that view of the that that development, that talent development of how are we going to make sure that we have kind of redundancies in place. And so on that issue of like that hybrid model. So one of the things I hear about and was starting right before COVID, like the last year or two before, and certainly has skyrocketed now is they get these attorneys and sometimes they're more junior lawyers and sometimes they're senior or like, hey, I'm in the market for X, Y, and Z reason. I'm tied to this area, you know, Chicago, Cleveland, you know, Las Vegas, whatever it is. 
but I, I, I can do a job that's, you know, hundreds of miles away. I can do that job there. I don't mind traveling. I can be a road warrior. Um, I can do a job remotely, but I, I just can't move. I don't want to move. Um, it's a struggle for me to answer that question. But, you know, when we worked on the search together, I know it was 99% likely, maybe 100% likely that the person we would place in the role for you was going to be in Cleveland and living in Cleveland. Um, you know, you're a CHRO, you're on the front lines, you're the clients I'm, I'm, I'm answering to. So when you hear that, when you hear attorneys say, oh, I'm in Vegas, but I can, you know, do a job anywhere. You know, how do you, uh, particularly for an executive role or even the next level down from an executive role, you know, how do you analyze that? Yeah. Um, I'll say this, um, I am a firm believer of FaceTime and, and that isn't over teams. And so in the environment, in the way that I've been brought up and the examples I gave earlier about some of my mentors, right? Being able to be at work and, and have learnings along the way. Uh, I really struggle with the collaboration of what I'll call remote work, right? I, I'm continuing to try to learn and read about it, right? I hear with the technology sectors and what they're doing, but, you know, I, I, I found it interesting that, uh, you know, some of these uh, apps that enable remote work are requiring their workers to come back into the office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when when you ask me the question of, hey, I'm 500 miles away or, hey, I, yeah, I could do this, I, I would say you need to be committed and you need to understand what is that company's philosophy on the hybrid work environment. And if you're going to be a senior leader and you're going to represent or be the conscience of the company and represent that culture, uh, I'm going to tell you that you need to be present because you're going to pick things up at the water cooler. You're going to see things in the lunch line. You're going to see things when you are out at those visits with associates that will be moments of truth where you're either going to keep the culture and support it or it's going to degrade and i think when you're sitting in las vegas and the offices are in cleveland it's very hard to have those moments of truth where you become a big leader by being able to influence yeah you can still schedule a 30-minute you know uh webinar with your team but i think a lot of it gets shaped when you're walking to and from the lunch rooms the restrooms to the water coolers and to and from your car. And I was like what you, you when you said about commitment too, because yeah, I always fear with a lot of these companies that you do the job remotely, you do your job proficiently, the job itself gets done. But then, you know, a year and a half later when some other company comes and they offer you, you know, one penny more to go to them, and you're like, well, I don't really know this company very well. I do my job. They seem to like me. We have 30 minute calls. They're offering me one dollar more to go over there. Why wouldn't you just take the next job and you're going to leave here? So we just made this commitment to train you for all this time. Now you're going to leave. Um, and yeah. I feel like those bonds, if I were a company, I'd want to have those bonds built in. So you're not having people just constantly leaving and constantly moving. Yeah, at, at Applied, we we were on the search that you and I did together. It had to be in Cleveland. Right. See, senior level positions need to be at the point of impact to be able to collaborate with other leaders so that we can 
have a right. successful business. It's your comment about that vertical expertise, which we've labeled as table stakes these days and getting into these roles. Absolutely true. You could be in Vegas and do this job. You could be in Seattle and do yeah. the technical aspects of it. You're not going to be the business partner with the rest of the leadership team when they're when they're all present and you're not. So it's hard. Right. And, then they, and then they say, well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll reside in Denver. You know, I'll be there. I'm a road warrior. I don't mind. Um, but you and I both know, and this is what I try to tell candidates, is that I know you think that, and I know you probably mean it for the first month or two, but I think that wanes, and ultimately your your commitment to four days a week or four and a half days will turn to three and a half days, will turn to three days, will turn to two and a half days, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And even if it is well, four, four and a half days, that's still probably, you're still there. You're still not really present as much as you need to be. Correct. I mean, there's there life gets in the way of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whether it be kids or it be uh, your your own your own situation, right? Life gets in the way of being on the road. I think I've I've been a road warrior in my prior uh, uh, companies, uh, and it it has a it has a shelf life. And your example of it got into hey, I was on the road five days. Well, the, okay, I get out of here Thursday night to get home, so I have Friday so that I can see my family uh, Friday evening first traveling. Uh, and so I think you're. Being present in those uh, situations are much more important, I think, for the family as well as for the company. So this is the question where you're cracking your knuckles to answer, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about recruiters and search partners. So what do uh, what do we do well? What do we not do well? Uh, what do you like to see in a search partner when you work with us? I told you I was going to ask you this question. I told you to be gentle because I may I might edit this out if I don't like the answer. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, so tell, yeah, just curious. You must have seen a lot of different types, good and bad. Um, <laughs> when have they been? When have recruiters been great for me? I think recruiters have been great for me when they aren't flipping just resumes, but they're providing the context as to how this person goes above the technical skills and meets the softer skills that we talked about, right? So it, 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 your firm, right, uh, Major Lindsay Africa, right? You guys have gotten a write-up or you do a write-up. And I find that very helpful in helping me navigate or answer that, why is this person qualified to do the job? Uh, I would also tell you that when people, when search partners have held true to competencies and they have not fallen in love with a candidate, right? They're saying, hey, this candidate has these pluses and these minuses, right? And here's the competencies that we identified in the search. And they can check this box, they can check this box. Ah, this is a push, this one's a development. I, I find that very helpful. Some firms, some recruiters are like, you've got to meet this person. They've got everything, right? And it's, I feel like I'm being sold, mm. right? The answer is, who do you work for? Are you a seller's agent or are you a buyer's agent? Yeah. Right? And, and it's that balance. And lastly, the other thing I would say for all the re recruiters, if they're listening out there, is you don't have to run to my boss every time. <laughs> Everybody wants to meet with the CEO. I understand it. Ultimately, that's where the buck stops. That's the guy whose name is on the check, right? But I will tell you, you need to respect the functions that are supporting that search. 
it's interesting. Mm. So they actually will go to they'll just because they met Neil maybe early in the search, they'll just go to him for certain things and kind of try to either bypass okay. or just or bring him into a conversation. Correct. Yeah. Right. And and everyone says, oh, I want to meet. I, I think you could reference it in our own search, right? Yeah. I would say that 98% of the search activity was run uh, through HR. Correct. Right, and the and the CEO doesn't want to know about those noises. He do, he he doesn't he doesn't want to know how the watch is getting built. He just wants the watch. And I see so many times individuals that when they start the search, oh, we want to meet with the hiring manager and the CEO, and I, I you know Neil Scrimshaw, blah blah blah, or whoever that CEO is, and they want to form this relationship. I'm not sure the CEO wants that relationship to start. His answer is, I got an opening. I got this position that needs to be filled. Can you work with my departments, my functions, the leaders that I've picked to pull it off? Yeah, I think for us, it's like, I don't need or want a relationship with the CEO because I figure I'm going to work with my HR partner or whoever else is running the search. All I want from the recruiter is when that candidate's like, what's the CEO like? I don't want it to be a black box. So yeah. it's like, if I just get 20, 30 minutes, make it meaningful, make me something that I can give a, a sound a sound bite in. Oh, this person's X, this person's Y, that's enough. If I don't have that, then I feel like I'm disarmed when I talk to the candidates. But as long as I have that, I definitely don't want or need, you know, another relationship with the CEO who's never gonna probably have another interaction with me again in the future. It just seems like not a good use of their time, probably not a good use of my time. But I can see how some recruiters probably feel differently because they're also thinking that they might um, do work in a lot of other departments over time too. Yeah, I just I think that knowing that you have a good partner in HR, if you feel good about that, uh, that HR leader and say that I think they have the ear of the president, uh, the president or the CEO, I would tell you use them. Right. And then the last thing I'd say, I, and I give I give uh, give you guys credit for this on our search is debate. I, I am a big debater. And so I think as a recruiter, you've got to be able to understand, hey, who am I presenting? Uh, and and then understand who's going to receive it and be prepared for how are they going to respond? For me, it's debate, right? It's let's talk about why you think this person is so good or, hey, here's how you're saying that they've met these requirements. OK, give me some evidence as to how they met it. Well, hey, last time we had this person that we interviewed, how did we feel about that? Because we scored them low. How do they compare and contrast, right? So that that give and take of a recruiter versus, hey, here's my five candidates this week for this call. Here's my write-up, uh, you know, when do you want to meet them? My answer is, let's walk through these five. Let's debate. Let's prioritize. Let's do the, let's do the pluses and the minuses on those so that when I go into phone screens or we go to face-to-face, I have a fair picture of of how Mike views that candidate. Yeah, and it's, you know, when I grew up, my father, you know, who was one political persuasion, loved to go to these people's houses of people, friends of his who were other political persuasions and just loved to argue all night about politics. So I love debate and I kind of like being contrarian. I'm a big fan of the devil's advocate. If, you know, five people want to do X, I want to be like, are we sure about that? And at least, you know, ultimately, even if I agree, so I kind of like that. I will say, Kurt, not all clients, unfortunately, always like that. So it's always hard for the recruiter to like suss out. Now, having worked with you for a few months, you're right. If we work on a search together again, I'm going to know that that's exactly the style you want. 
you know, not all HR partners always want that, but I appreciate the fact that you and I definitely learned that, you know, pretty quickly working with uh, with you on the search. So. Yeah, and you have to be astute to understand that, right? But it, for me, I, I tell you, walking in, that's what this HR business leader wanted, right? And when we were picking uh, search partners, it was one of the things that I was trying to sniff out to say, is this person, how are they going to advocate? What are they going to argue for? What are they going to argue against? And how does that fit with me, right? Yeah. Because uh, just it helps us narrow the slate down much faster. And this again, this other call I just finished before you, the person, she said this like three or four times now. Okay, I told you what I think. Tell me exactly why I'm wrong. Go. I mean, yeah. that's, I love that. I love that. I love somebody who's done that versus somebody who's just like, here's what we've decided. I just want you to execute this for us. Well, that's not that much fun. And also, if it's wrong, there's no opportunity to tell you, here's why I think something differently. But yeah. Kurt, you've been very you've been very generous with your time today. I really appreciate doing this. I had a real pleasure working with you on the searches. I'm sure Heather find it as well. And um, thanks for spending time on this podcast today. You got it. Hope your uh, listeners enjoy the uh, information and hopefully I can uh, help them disrupt themselves and continue to learn. Great, Kurt. Thank you. And that will do it for this episode. We love to get your feedback on these podcasts. Feel free to email me anytime at msacks at mlaglobal.com. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, any suggestions for future topics of episodes. In the meantime, our current plan is to roll out one of these podcast episodes about once a month. So be on the lookout for new episodes all year as they become available. So long, everyone. Thank you for listening to In-House Legal Uncovered. Join us next time as we dig into another topic that will better help you navigate your in-house legal career.